Don't Talk to Me Unless It's About Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. Today we're discussing part one, up to page 176, of Meg Mason's novel Sorrow and Bliss. I'm joined by Shauna and Darla. We're three women in our 30s and 40s. Shauna and I live in Portland, Oregon, and Darla lives in Amman, Jordan. Here we go. Well, I'm curious what kind of books you guys normally read. Do you normally read this kind of genre or is this a different kind of book for you? I like this genre, um, but I I do all kinds. I like to read all kinds of things, whether it's fantasy or um, uh, I just finished Clara, Clara and the Sun, um, written by a Japanese author. Um, I don't know how to describe exactly kind of dystopian. Um, but like last year I did a lot of reading, but like, I don't know that I finished all the books, but there are a lot of like books recommended by like my therapists, um, and other, other people, um, and a lot of workshops I took. So I never finished settlers. It's a great book, but on like the history of the United States, like the real history. So I, I read so many different varieties, but I really enjoy reading, um, fiction probably the most. So I don't know if that answers that all that well, but yeah, I yeah. Um, like never read fiction before. You know, I always thought like, what a waste of time. Like this was like, <laughs> this was the super productive, like Darla of my thirties, twenties, twenties to thirties, where I was like, like, I have to learn something while I'm reading. And if I'm reading some like made up story, like there's no, there's like, there's no point in that. And then <laughs> for some reason, I'm trying to think of when it was. It might have actually been my pregnancy because I I got diagnosed with pregnancy induced depression and I needed like just light stuff. So reading kind of like heavy nonfiction or stuff where I was supposed to be learning something was not going to work on for my brain. And I think that's when I started reading fiction and I was like, this is amazing. And like nonfiction is incredible because of the research that's done or, you know, like the data that's collected or whatever the, 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 the factual pieces are that's gathered for it, but the creativity involved in weaving together a fictional story and making you feel for characters. It was like a, fl- a switch flipped in me. And I was like, now I get it. That's and so I have such respect for really good fiction authors. And, you know, halfway through this book, I definitely believe like she, it's amazing how she can, um, with such almost such little information, you get such vivid pictures of who these characters are. Mm-hmm. Like at one point when Ingrid's giving birth and she and um, Martha's telling Patrick what she sees, she goes, Martha, I don't need you to paint a word picture for him. Move over, you know? <laughs> and that's what I feel like so often, you know, like I'm I'm in the process of writing as well, like writing, you know, for, for myself. And I'm like, one of the, the um, pieces of advice that authors so often give is like, don't use too many words for what you don't, you know, like, basically if you use too many words, you're like talking down to your audience, right? You don't have to be like, she turned the door handle and opened the door and walked through. It's like, you know, all those things happened before. Nobody's going to walk into a closed door, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so I feel that way with this author that she like with very few, she's not painting word pictures, you know, she's just like, you're like, I got it so quickly. Yes. And I feel like people always like you always hear that advice of like show don't tell. And I feel like she's the first person who I actually like see that 
in real detail. Like I, yeah, I'd written down, like, I love these little anecdotes she gave about, like at the beginning about the boss editing her work on like Google Docs and tracking changes. And it was just like so, so vivid and so accurate. And like the the woman with the canopy at the wedding and all the details of that, like just, yeah, it's like, oh, this is actually show don't tell of like, this is what social awkwardness and anxiety looks like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, It actually made me at first wonder, like, I'm like, am I reading an autobiography? Because like, how um she does so it feels like she does such a good job of drawing those pictures without very many words that it almost feels like she's pulling it out of herself a little bit like it's got to be like really it, it just feels real the way she can describe it so which she probably is I mean I don't know yeah. about her life but like I mean even um her boss said that right like every first authors every author's first book is like a you know loose autobiography like how autobiographical is this right does she know this person is this partially part of one of her multitudes that she contains you know like who how how do you like and and you know there's there are authors like um do either of you read Anne Lamott I've just started to yeah have you I feel like I I've read something a while back she writes fiction and nonfiction, which is interesting because you get, and her fiction, I mean, her nonfiction is um, very like slice of life memoir style. So you get a view of her life. And then I recently read her novel, Blue Shoe, and then I've been reading her nonfiction book, Small Victories. Fun fact is he loves me to read Anne Lamott to her at night. Um, yes. So while living in a Muslim country, she's getting this Christ- American Christian influence. <laughs> but um she you could tell like there were these little snippets of stories and small victories that I was like oh that's where she got that part of blue shoe like you could totally see where she carried it over like talking about her mother the mother in blue shoe was definitely her mom and so I think that's so fascinating when when an author does give you enough information for you to see what, what where they're getting their fiction from yeah Yes. Oh, I would love to know that with other authors because do you guys read, have you read Sally Rooney? Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I kept thinking of her in this and in her last book, she had a lot of debate between the characters of like, why do people care so much about who the author is? And like, if it comes in their life and like, why don't they just kind of leave them alone? Was like one of the characters venting about, was venting about that. And I kept thinking like, I do want to know about the author and I want to know about like <laughs> what, you know, if this is their life or not. And then it made me think like, why do like, why do I want that? Like, it's, I think it's just because it's so interesting that you want to, like, I, I just want to know everything about it. Um, there's probably also like a nosiness element. Um, but yeah, she mentioned so many things that you had to wonder, like, are these breadcrumbs of people in her life, her experiences? Um, I do think I listened to, I found this book because I listened to an interview with her um, really randomly. I, I almost never listen to interviews of people who I like don't know anything about. Um, and it was, it was a great interview. And she, I do believe she does, now I'm trying to remember if she, did, I, I, if she actually herself doesn't have, no, she does have kids. It's in her bio. Um, but 
yeah, but like, I feel like that's obviously such a huge theme of this idea of like not having kids. Um, and so like, that's, you know, clearly a big departure from her actual reality, but like, you have to wonder, is this someone else she knows? Yeah. Where do all these people come from? Or like, were those thoughts that she had herself, you know, like, before she, she, yeah. I, I mean, I have a child, but I went through most of my life believing that I, I wouldn't and being told by doctors that I really couldn't, that I would have a hard time. So like I had that in my brain that I was going to be that person without kids. And, um, and Ezra and I, even when we got married, we were like, or when we got engaged, when we got married, I was already pregnant, but when we got engaged, <laughs> we were like, <laughs> we're just going to have this life of traveling the world, just the two of us. And now, you know, like we joke around now, but we're like, it's a little different, a little different than what we thought it was going to look like. <laughs> but, um, you know, so maybe she is bringing in pieces of her and, you know, as fellow moms, we love our children, but there are definitely times where, you know, you're like, wow, what would that be like if I just didn't have any? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> well, you always hear, uh, I've I've heard this constantly. Um, like, write good writers write what they know. Like, you can't really write about something you know nothing about because you just won't get it right. But right, but yet you could still pull in pieces. Like, maybe you don't have kids, but you could. I could see how um, you can infer that from and get that from people you know who have kids, or as you said, Darla, like. You, you did live that life um, where you didn't think you'd have kids. So you know what it feels like. You knew what life would look like. And now you're like, oh, it looks a little different. And yet here we are. Um, I would say you're still traveling the world. So it doesn't look that different, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like some of oh, us. Running like, for the bus at 645 in the morning was not in the picture. <laughs> well, travel the world too. I've yet to leave very far from home, but yeah. But yeah, I think write what you know. I, I would only assume they have there, there's definitely bits and pieces of the authors and all of it, but no matter what book you're talking about, that has to be in there. Yeah, and and what I find is like really impressive when when authors, I mean, I find I find like I said before, I find really fic, good fiction really impressive. But like when authors really do write what they don't know, like and we we all know somebody who writes who is a woman a lesbian woman who maybe she identifies as bisexual, but who writes gay male fiction. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys know this, but I'll mention who it is later. And she would, she would tell you as well. I just don't want to, you know, like uh, say her name here, but um, like, that's really impressive to me that you can, that you can like tap into something that you don't know, you know, like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able, I, I, or I, I don't know if I have that in me. I've always thought like, like stories of um, people who have had like incredible hardships would be like great fiction to write based on somebody's life. Because I think sometimes nonfiction about hardship is, is people don't not, don't necessarily pivot up, pick it up the same kind of people. Right. Okay. But like, war or prison or, uh, you know, the refugee crisis or things like that, where if you could really tap into those stories enough to, to feel that person's story and write it, you know, you'd get a whole different audience of people to understand what that situation is like. And so I think it's a really like noble pursuit to try to, to get out of our, our world enough to write something from someone else's perspective and try to do it well. And then the critics will still tear you, tear you apart, I'm sure. Because you did haven't experienced it exactly, right? Well, you don't. Well, you're writing something you don't know anything about. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's an interesting perspective. 
I mean, but like, as it pertains to this book, like I can't, I, I feel like every book I read and, and with Meg Mason, um, I can't help, but like, as I'm reading it, trying to figure out how much of it's made up, especially about the main character, like how much is it about her, you know, like, and so it's interesting, like how I'm now thinking about what you just said, Darla, and trying to figure out, um, Maybe she is writing what she knows and maybe it's not. Maybe she doesn't know anything about depression. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Like, um, and yeah, interesting. Something. Yeah. Like what did you guys think of Martha or what do you think about her so far? I find she's like both extremely likable and also very like not likable. Like, well, in the sense that like, likable but you can you, and you, I think you're meant to do that like kind of like be annoyed at her a little bit like she's telling the story and like and the, these men in her life um and and you're just kind of annoyed at her because you can see her character flaws and um but she's just so darn funny that you just can't help but also like her and root for her I don't know it's like I'm still trying to figure out um like by the time I finish, gets a second half. Like, if how would I think about it will change? Like, like how that might change. I don't know. I don't know about you, Darla. I liked her more the second time I read through it. Um, I think the first time, you know, she says, um, like th that whole piece about, um, I don't know when I became turned into this wife. But mm -hmm. one of the defining moments was like, you know, at her party when he was holding those the, the cards to give a speech about her. Right. And she went up to him and told him not to do it. And like that was probably like one of the more defining moments. And I think that was kind of like the Martha that I had kind of in my mind as I read the book the first time was like this kind of like just this nasty person who is like Patrick is obviously trying to be and is being so kind. Mm -hmm. and she just can't accept it, accept, accept the kindness. And she's just, and there's those moments. I mean, I also saw myself, I think the reason why I could picture that is like, I saw myself in those moments too. Um, I mean, I've never done anything that drastic where like Ezra went to give a speech about me and I told him to not do it, but like where, I mean, Ezra is, as I, I, I can see Ezra in Patrick, where it's like, he's so kind, he's so generous. I mean, you know, he dedicates his life as a humanitarian photographer, like He's, he's so calm and collected most of the time through like, through all of the stuff that he goes through. He's such a great partner. He's so supportive. Like whatever I decide to do in my life, he's like, yeah, that sounds great. You know, he's like super supportive. And, and then there's also times where I just absolutely hate him because, you know, like hormones or uh, just the way that I'm feeling that day or because I'm a human, you know? And, and so I could see those parts. Like, that's what I love about this book is like, she was a huge, she was, she's very um, multifaceted, right? Like mm -hmm. I can see, she, it's not like she's just a hateable character or a likable character. So I think I equated myself to those parts too, or as like in that moment of humility, a moment of humility where I could be like, yeah, I can see myself doing that you know, or just like thinking in my head, like something not kind about Ezra. And then, and then, you know, working through that, right. Because of the work that I've done to like move through that. 
And then the second time I've now read it, like, and I read it kind of faster the second time because, you know, I knew it. I was like, she's so like these, these episodes or these, these flaws, we all want to be accepted for the whole person that we are. Right. And I, I tell this to my daughter all the time. Last night I sat, I laid in bed with her as she's falling asleep and whispered to her about like, cause she had just had a temper tantrum and she was really sad. And like, I get that when I misbehave, right. When I like act out of line, I feel like shame afterwards, which I don't want my daughter to feel that way. Right. I don't want myself to feel that way. And so I think, I I think Martha really feels that she like, doesn't want to be this person that's mean, but she's also, that's who she is. And in some ways she's working on it in some ways she's not. And in some ways she doesn't care. And then, you know, like there's just so many pieces of it. And I think she would Meg really capture that. Yeah. Agreed. I feel like, and I I never even really like, felt like she was even mean per se. I just felt like she was very, um, what is the word? Um, I never really, I don't see her quite as mean. I think probably because I am a social, as someone who has had past experiences with anxiety and depression, I can totally understand that it's, it's not even so much her, um, personality that isn't likable. It's like, what a, ails her that seems to be getting that gets in her way and she gets in her way um a lot with that so I it's like yeah you just you which is why I'm like you kind of just get annoyed because you're like no you she she, like she doesn't want to be that way she doesn't want to be afflicted with all of that um and I I assume she's got to be pretty likable someone like all these people seem to really like her she seems to draw people in people like her she's friends with um Patrick falls for her and has loved her from the beginning you're just like she's obviously likable um and she's just very um outspoken and and what have you but then she falls into those bouts that like bring everyone down yeah yeah because you see you know yeah her dad and Ingrid and her Nicholas like the way they all love having her around and then but then I feel like I saw so often of like her not kind of reciprocating the effort in mm-hmm. those relationships and yeah. feeling so frustrated of and not knowing like, OK, if this if this it like if this it, what part of her is this? Is this a mental health episode? And that's why she can't reach out to them. And if that's the case, like you still want her to do it. But like, what's the way for her to get there? What is the help that she needs? Um Cause she, yeah, doesn't seem to like, I was, I was looking at the, you know, the different episodes that that's what I was called them like different times she seemed to go through. Mm. Uh, and I heard that in this interview with Meg Mason, that she purposely didn't put a name to like, she didn't say she has depression. She has anxiety. She has this. I think she had, she said she initially wrote it having named it. And then she took out any like clear identifiers cause she wanted it to be more vague because she feels like that's a better representation of mental health. And I, I really liked that. Um, yeah, I did note that as well, that it didn't specifically say it, but it speaks to how great of a writer that she is, that you, you got that picture pretty clearly though. Yeah. Yeah. Like to me, yeah. I, I kind of, in my mind was thinking depression and anxiety. Um, but like, again, it's like, these things are so loosely defined. How do I, you know, I don't know how I decided those words. Um, and so, so oftentimes I was like, 
okay, are these things happening? Some of them felt like, okay, they kind of came out of nowhere. It was probably chemical and others seemed like super situational. Um, Mm -hmm. Like the moment Jonathan left, suddenly she had the energy to like text her sister. But before that she had been like in bed for two weeks, you know, not talking to anyone Mm -hmm. Um, or the like right towards the end of this half first half that we got to where she starts, that's where you start to see kind of the breaking in her marriage with Patrick when she's saying she's so lonely, he's working at the hospital all the time. Um, I think this was in like the very last chapter we read. Um, And I was trying to figure out like, what, what is, is this actually part of me was wondering like her and Patrick seemed to be great basically until they were married. (laughs) Um, And then I was wondering like, what is the situation here that's making, is this an episode that came on just like naturally? And that's why she's feeling so angry all the time. Is it that he's working more? Um, Or really, I thought like, is it that Ingrid had a kid and like Ingrid was kind of her lifeline? I think like, I think in France, she kind of saw a therapist, but it sounds like otherwise she hasn't really gotten mental health care. And I feel like Ingrid was basically like the closest thing she had to a therapist. And then Ingrid like was no longer playing that role once she had a baby. And that seemed like that was things falling apart. Yeah, clearly it's, um, I feel like I saw a mix of all of that. Um, and I thought also a level of dissatisfaction as well um, with like her job. Her job is not really a job. Like yeah, made to sunbathe on the roof of a building. Um, and then when the, she's, they're told not to even come back or what have you, I think it's that whole, like, like you said, you speak to um, not really having anything to do and he's working long hours and gone a lot. And then Ingrid's no longer readily available to take walks or meet up with. And then I think she feels that disconnection. Um, and I think it, it's interesting because she talks about how she doesn't want a kid. She doesn't want a kid. She wouldn't want a kid, but you can kind of feel her like you can, you start to wonder like if she's feels like, like she's almost jealous of Ingrid, you know, she's a little jealous of Ingrid's kid. And you wonder if that's because um, there's that connection to something and she's feeling like she's losing this connection um, with her sister and, and other people. Like, like you said, as soon as they get married, things kind of start to fall apart. But I think that might, you also wonder if that's changed her dynamic and relationship with like her cousins and, and the, the other individuals has kind of changed a little bit because she married kind of a, someone who's been in the family, but isn't actually related, you know? So I think it's, mm-hmm. a lot. there's a lot of different facets to why she's suddenly, um, whatever episodes or whatever's coming on as that chapter ends and we're left hanging. It's, it, you know, it, it, what you're talking about is like exactly what she and her boss um, what's his name? The guy. Oh, the, Peregrine, or I don't know yeah. how you say it, but Peregrine, yeah, 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 yeah. So they, um, you know how we, they talk about nostalgia, and they keeps on saying the original Greek definition, though, and they, you know, gave that definition at one point where he says nostalgia is the suffering caused by our unappeased yearning to return, mm-hmm. and that's what I kind of see the whole along the whole way. And that's what life can be for all of us, right? Is that feeling of like that yearning to return to way to maybe like home, the way that we somehow think home was right. But maybe never really was, or like to, um, 
you know, to a situation, to a relationship. And so everything changes in life. So all of these relationships of hers are changing and maybe she wants the marriage to Patrick, but at the same time, she wants things back to how they were. And, and maybe that's why the, you know, her mental health issues started in the first place is that she moved from like, you know, that was kind of like, it seemed like around puberty age, right. Where it was like, you're starting to move from being a child and maybe the relationship of her parents was changing. The relationship of her household was changing. She was starting to recognize things that she never recognized before about winsome and her mother's relationship. And so she started to have this nostalgia for like that, you know, yearning to return to the way things were, but, but not being able to do that. And so it just continues, right. It's just like mm-hmm. each thing continues that, that cycle. Yeah. And I feel like just like the theme I keep seeing with her is just like lacking initiative and like, okay, even if she wanted things to return to how they were like with Ingrid, she doesn't come out and be like, Ingrid, I miss you. Um, or like with Nicholas, her cousin, like they, they built this beautiful friendship and then it just went away. And then she was like, and then I missed him. And I'm like, wait, but why, (laughs) why did that friendship have to end? Um, and yeah. And then I'm left feeling like, you know, wanting, Oh, what would be the way for her to have initiative? And then I'm like, is, yeah, I think having the mental health piece mixed into the book made my first, made it harder to be frustrated with her as a character. Cause then I'm left wondering, mm-hmm. like, am I asking too much? Um, yeah. What did you guys think about that in terms of like, when you felt frustrated with her, was it different because you knew she was struggling with her mental health than if you were, if she was a character who like, we never heard any of those things about her. I think I just had the understanding of, and this is probably just like the work that I do, but like the understanding of her, her own individual humanness, right? Like I think about relationships. I used to have a really awesome relationship with a lot of my siblings. I'm one of eight kids. And as you, when you're young, when I was young, I was like, oh, this is awesome. I, I like, I never have to make a friend in life. Cause I've got like seven built-in friends, uh, two were so young that they were like babies, but you know, I really thought like the six of us that were the kind of more similar in age, we're always going to be friends. And I have speaking relationships with all my siblings. Like they're all fine, but I'm not close to any of them. And I do miss them, but the amount of time and effort and energy and resource that it would take for both sides to forge that relationship again, to get back to that spot where maybe at the time we lived together or we, you know, now I'd live so far from all of my siblings, but like we had, you know, I I had a great relationship with my older sister. She now has two kids. She's got a job. She's got a wife who has a very busy job. So like she, it's hard to, to find any time to connect with each other. My brother who we used to live together, we were so close um, he has four kids, like, and, and he runs his own company. Like, we just don't, we just can't make those inroads to, to, to get back to that place. And I think, so when I looked at her, I didn't think of her having a lack of initiative because lack of initiative is never something anyone says about me. <laughs> so <laughs> if I can also feel that, right. That I'm like, yeah, I totally understand those things. Like that relationship with Nicholas, like it falls apart. And it's not like it just instantly. It's like over time you realize, oh, I just don't see Nicholas anymore. Oh, I thought maybe we I could we can move on to these next phases and it would still be the same. Or, you know, you don't really stop to to like analyze it. And then it's gone. Mm-hmm. And then the nostalgia kicks in, right? 
Yeah. But I feel like the difference is like you have other deep, meaningful relationships in your life. And I feel like she just keeps kind of losing them. And like, yeah, I, I, I do like the point you're making that. Yeah. Relationships don't have to be like forever the same to be successful, but I feel like she's just losing them. Yeah. Like she has one anchor and then it's like gone and doesn't, doesn't hold that anchor. Do you, but you said something about like, you feel like she, she kind of like her relationship with Ingrid changed a lot too, which I, I don't know that I've really noticed a huge difference. Like, I feel like I love their banter, right? Like, yes. I really want to like, this is one of my goals this year is to infuse more laughter and humor and like take things less seriously in life. And like, I love their constant banter. Like, you know, she just delivered, Ingrid just delivered a premature baby on the floor of a bathroom. And she, her comment was that she hopes that they were winsome good tells. And I'm like, oh my God, I want that to be my thought rather than like, get me to the effing hospital. Right. So I feel like her relationship with Ingrid still kept that. I wonder why you see it change so much. I feel like I only really started to see it change um, right in that last chapter before, you know, she even mentions like, you know, she had a baby. So I'm, I don't know if Caitlin, if you're just projecting that we're about to see more of that change, but you see a little bit of it. She seems lonely. She even kind of, I don't know if she directly says it or alludes to her just not being quite as readily available because she's had the kid. Yeah, I think she talks about directly being lonely. And yeah, it really is just at the end. Um, but I feel like she started planting seeds like like she was she was so upset when she found out Ingrid was pregnant and she like already felt like, oh, this is gonna be kind of the she I felt like she built it up like this is gonna be the big divide. And I think she had a comment that was like somewhere about, you know, Ingrid and I, you know, we're so close, but like that's gonna end because eventually she's gonna have kids and I'm not. Um, yeah, I remember that as well. Yeah. I feel like just the way she talks about the divide she feels with people who have kids, um, you know, she talks about all these friends had these friends no longer cause they had kids, um, feels like such a big deal. And then it makes me keep thinking like, oh, I have friends right now who don't have kids and probably won't have kids. And like, did they feel this way? Like, you know, it made me think about like, I, I hope that we're going to be friends for like for a very long time. Um, and you know, what can I do to make sure, like, I try not to talk about Ada all the time around anyone anyways, cause I don't think that's good for me or anyone else. Um, but made me think, just made me think a lot about like, how do you, yeah, it's just like, what, what, what can be on the, onus of the person who does have kids which is like the more socially acceptable thing to do to keep in their life someone who doesn't make that choice yeah I definitely can see that you know like we do as you know as a society we do kind of put people who have kids on a on a higher rung than people who don't you know like um I think in in a lot of, in a lot of ways, it's interesting to think of it as where like the, I, I think as parents, we were like, we're so busy, you know, like, and then it's like to think, oh, the onus, yeah, really does lie in the person who has the 
like the privilege in that situation, right? Which is the person with the child. Um, yeah, so it's kind of it's fascinating to think of it that way. It makes me it makes me like think about my my friends without kids. And be like, wow, am I fostering that one enough? Well, it makes I wanted to ask you both because you like you know Ada's. 10 months. So like we just take her along to anything. She doesn't have like her own activities right now, but like you guys both have kids at the age where like they have their own things, um, that I feel like could more strongly dictate your schedule. Do you feel like it's been hard to maintain friendships with friends who don't have kids? No, I feel like I, I mean, I didn't have, uh, I didn't have Izzy until I was 36. So I had already really established my like self-identity. I feel like not that you can't do that if you have kids young, but I, I needed that. I needed my twenties and half of my thirties to really establish myself. And so I knew that even when I had a kid, like I knew, I knew I needed to have like nights out drinking with my friends and I needed the party friends and I needed stuff that was like such a departure from that. What I, I envisioned being a mom was. And, and so I really kept, you know, like, I think I, my single friends, my, 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 un, my non-breeding friends may say differently, but um, <laughs> I really feel like I kept those friendships. I think the harder thing for me in friendships is moving halfway across the world. And that's been more difficult to try to keep those relationships. But, but I don't think the kid, I think it, but it was, it was, um, it had to be very intentional, right? Like to be like, Ezra, mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're with Izzy tonight. I need a night out drinking with Ashley. Like that had to be. I had to be my, you know, priority. So interesting. Cause I feel like I had the opposite experience there of you, Darla. Um, cause I had my first young at 25. Um, but like Colin and I were bound and determined, like to continue doing the things we enjoyed, um, doing, and, uh, we would go hiking with the baby. I mean, I think Holden was we went camping with him. He was like three months old and hiking. I mean, we had, and so most of, I don't think any of my friends even started having kids until relatively recently. Even my sister had her first child, um, who's now just four, whereas mine are six and 10, as we were talking about earlier, Caitlin. Um, but I remember we had some friends that we were friends with from college, um, who, who did the opposite. They, um, we would have to like, they weren't reaching out to hang out with us. We would reach out to hang out with them. They kind of like would just like not invite us along. Would didn't want us coming along. I remember we um, and we like went. We would go hiking and stuff with them all the time and do outdoors stuff. And I remember we they um, we got together and I had Holden and I was like, we can do the same things. Like, and they're like, that's so cool. I don't know. Like, they had other friends. Um, this this particular couple married couple um had some other friends who had kids that stopped doing things and stopped wanting to hang out as you were just saying sometimes it's on the onus of the the ones with kids to put yourself out there um and they're like it's so cool that you you're you're up and willing to do this and I said yeah you know hiking like, the only thing is like at one point I had to stop and I had to sit on a, a log I sat on a down tree to nurse hold and I was like as long as you all don't mind waiting while you know 10 minutes while I nurse. Um, and they seem kind of okay with it. Um, and at one point I was changing him on the ground, like changing a diaper on the ground. They seemed okay with it. Then they started getting annoyed. Like second time I had to like nurse and I'm like, thing is like, and then slowly, but surely after that incident, like 
they just know we would hear it used to be a bunch of group of us would like go do things together um and and we were always invited and we would and then I would hear from other friends that like they went out and did these things and we weren't invited and they slowly just kind of like like we're no longer part of that that friend group anymore um despite the fact that we were putting in the effort to be like we're still doing a lot of the same things it might just look a little bit different like I can't hike in nurse at the same time like you can hike pause nurse hike but yeah so um and then now I feel like we still know people and have friends who don't have kids like in the Ingrid Martha yeah. relationship where does that onus stand is it is it a 50 50 like do they both have to walk across the bridge probably because that's probably how always is in life because you can only right. imagine Martha's like trying to get to Ingrid and she's constantly like, I'm too busy or I've got this kid or whatever. Um, one would stop trying. One would be like, well, like if you're not going to like even put in the effort and vice versa, if Ingrid is, we're yet to see exactly what's going to happen with the relationship. But um, right. we also get like such a snippet of Ingrid. It would be interesting to see maybe um, Meg Mason can now write the next book from Ingrid's perspective because she's an awesome <laughs> <Right>? character. <laughs> like also, they're both one. hilarious. So it would be yeah so funny to get their perspectives on it yeah where do you guys see things going with both martha and, and ingrid and martha and patrick i'm having a very hard time understanding still how their relation like mostly martha and patrick like how does this all i still don't it's so it's still so mysterious to me how this all falls apart well, it seems kind of obvious that like, as you said, like you're starting to see the unraveling if she's like being lonely. Um, so you're wondering if that's really it, but then what, what's the rest of the story? Like what, like is, if she's already alluded to it, they divorced at the very beginning. And then she starts talking about her first um, marriage. Um, so I'm, I'm really have grappled with like, what's the second half of this book really going to be about? Is it going to be about her, making inroads and starting to, um, take more steps as we were just alluding to of, um, towards her mental health, like what she can be doing, um, to improve that. And if she does that, will that improve her relationships as well? Um, because you keep hearing all of these characters saying like, why do you have to be this way? Or do you like being mm-hmm. this way? like, uh, so which speaks to, it's not like they don't understand that it's mental health she can't control, but it is like they're begging the question you pose there of what steps are you taking? What initiative are you taking um, to see a therapist or whatever, whatever have you that depending on what mental health issues we don't, since we don't fully know. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of wondering if, if it's all leading to um, her figuring out how to forge and can maintain these relationships or if, like, is this the divorce? Um, cause I think the beginning, right. It's, I'm trying to remember. Um, it's when she really starts talking about the divorce, right. Right from the beginning, the divorce from Patrick. So the whole book mm-hmm. so far has been about their relationship, even when they weren't in a relationship. Uh, so it makes you wonder what, like, what, what's going to happen to them and how is she going to come out of it? Yeah. I think it's really, it's always interesting when you're like, because when you said, when you were talking about that last chapter where she was just lying in bed, lonely, right? Or the last chapter that we've read, right? Where it's like halfway through the book. She doesn't reference, there's, they're not like getting divorced right then, right? Mm-hmm. 
but so then when you're talking about it, I was like, wait, but so how do I, I feel like I know that they're they're getting divorced. Like, how do I know this relationship's ending? And then I realized that like, that was all the way from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And like, that's another really like skillful writing technique is to be able to tell us information and still make you interested in getting to how that information came about. Right. Like, you know, it's not like you find out they got divorced and you're like, spoiler alert, you know, you're like, oh, now I've got to figure, now she's like in gotten me to understand how the, how the relationship has, you know, the ups and downs, how it has ebbed and flowed over time and, and how it's going to get to that point. And is that the end, right? Like, do they get divorced and that's the end? Or is that, is there something that brings them back together or, you know, Hard to say, given that the divorce was at the very beginning of the book. So you're like, is the divorce the end? But it can't be how the book started. (laughs) Like, Or unless maybe it is, maybe it started with the end and now we're leading back to the beginning. I don't, I mean, we kind of have been, right. It's been leading back to the beginning when they met and all that and got married. So, but now that they're married, you're like, you still have another half of the book. So where's the beginning where, I don't know. I've been trying to figure out where the beginning and the end is for all of it. Like beginning started with kind of the end and what is the end of this book going to be like? I don't know. Yeah. Cause she, I feel like she doesn't really explain or share things that she like doesn't actually like about Patrick. Like she'll say these little things, like little snippets on like, I hate that he, you know, does the guns uh, (laughs) thing or like she'll criticize these kind of seemingly meaningless parts of him. But then I feel like, and, but she'll make these like grand statements of like, you know, I used to think he was my cure. And now I think he was like the cause of all my (laughs) unhappiness. But she'll say that, but then, like, she doesn't seem to actually share anything that is bad or hard about him. And so I'm left just, yeah, being like, okay, does she, did she unnaturally have him on a pedestal? And, like, that was an issue? Or is she, you know, not, yeah, is is it that she's not revealing these things or she like actually doesn't dislike anything about him? Um, Cause yeah, then you have to wonder, okay, it's written in the first person. Like, Oh, is she an unreliable narrator? And yeah, she's like, exactly. she's hiding things from us. Can you get, do you have a sense of what, yeah. What you're expecting the issues in their marriage to be? I just live in the moment, Caitlin. No, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> you have to have an opinion about this. <laughs> I don't know. It seems in some ways, it seems like, you know, I can't remember. I always, I've I've searched for this quote online as to who has said it or this anecdote, but I've heard someone say before that like, uh, like a story about, you know, like a, a couple or one, one part of a couple goes to a therapist and says, I'm not in love with my partner anymore. And the therapist says, well, love them. And you're not listening to me. I'm not in love with my partner anymore. The therapist says, well, love them. Right. They're like, no, I'm not in love with them anymore. And the point is, love is not a noun, it's a verb, right? It's a thing you do. So if you're not in love with your partner anymore, then try creating love in the relationship, right? And not to say that you can save every relationship that way, but perhaps that there's some work to be done. And I think I look at like Patrick and Martha's relationship, especially because Martha has doesn't have a lot of like fulfilling stuff in her life on an individual standpoint, right? She's got this mm-hmm. really... Um, you know, like kind of disappointing relationship with her mother. And she's, you know, even her father has a disappointing career, which, you know, I think she feels some empathy, you know, empathy towards him about because he loves her so much. She's kind of like 
you know, she has this relationship with Ingrid, but it's not like she has this, it seems like Ingrid and Hamish have this fulfilling relationship. Ingrid's got kids. She doesn't, Martha doesn't really have a career. You know, Ingrid said at one point, you've been, you know, with hard work and dedication, you've like been working your way down the ladder, the career ladder. And so it's like, she doesn't really have a lot, you know, that to get to wake up in the morning and get excited about. And so even though her relationship could be something that she's excited about, or she could get a career that she's excited about, or, you know, because of the mental health, she, instead, she doesn't put the work into it, you know, and I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that she could, I'm just saying that doesn't get put in. And I think I look at that as like so many of us in relationships, you know, that like, can you imagine if you didn't put the work in? with your partner, if you didn't do the the therapy or if you didn't do the conversations or if you didn't read the books or if you didn't do your self-growth to try to get to that point, you, I could see any of us in that situation, right. Where you're just like, you know, just it's like that ennui or like, or like malaise where you're like that apathy, right. You just, they say the opposite of love is not hate. It's apathy. Right. And it's like, yeah, if you just get to that point where you're not seeing anything to feel gratitude about in the relationship. I think any of us could get there. Yeah. Agreed. And I just, I constantly, um, when I think about what could be the demise of the relationship, I just, I think back to that line in one of the chapters where he, he says like, well, she remembers him saying like, why are you like this? Do you enjoy being like this? So it almost makes me think that somehow her, her unhappiness with other aspects of her life, she takes it out on him probably because he is such a kind as you were talking about Darla such a supportive kind you don't see any flaws in him and it's very easy um I think to then like take it out on them um and I just see this unraveling where he loves her he knows what she's like he's always loved her but then I think once they are married and like he's living that every day I wonder if um her yeah like you said if she's just not doing the growth work we she does seem to be stagnant like she's just not quite sure what to do with herself um, with the relationships with the job um and and you I I do wonder like you know he loves her but you're like does she love him because she seemed more fixated on him only when she heard um that he was in love with her. And then like, so you wonder like, is, does she really love him or did she just get fixated on a st- something constant? Her parents' relationship was, has always been kind of volatile, um, particularly because of her mom's drinking and, and her own personality. Um, and I, I've wondered like, is, does her mom have mental health issues as well that, um, cause you don't really learn too much more about her just um, that maybe, Martha has inherited. So you wonder if, if Patrick's just safe, um, if he's somehow safe um, and a, a kind of love that feels like comforting. And if eventually that comfort kind of goes away as she starts speaking about it, like he's always gone and where's that comfort she needs in there kind of thing. Well, especially like the always gone part um, uh, is directly contrasting to her dad. Remember how it said like her dad never left the house after she had the, what she calls like the episode on the, on the mm-hmm. balcony or something. She says like, yeah. she realized her dad was making it sure that she was never alone. Mm-hmm. And, and here she's now she's alone all the time. And so she like went from having that comfort again, the nostalgia, right. Of this, the way things were when she was, ne- when someone was there to never leave her alone. Yeah. 
Yeah. And now he's left her alone. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I definitely see that about, yeah, he's, he's safe. He's comforting. He's there. And yeah, maybe it's, it's not actually even an issue with the two of them that ends the marriage. It would like, it could have been anyone and Mm -hmm. maybe it's kind of the place she's in no matter what. Kind of waiting to see if they just throw some kind of wrench in the whole plot line somewhere along the line. But, um, but she hasn't alluded to anything. It seems like she's been kind of anything dramatic. It seems like she's been alluding to the fact that the way things are going to play out. So I'll be interested to see if it, it takes a turn that surprises us all. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, is there, is there some interest she's going to develop? Like, yeah, she really doesn't have any kind of fulfilling parts of her life. And yeah, makes me wonder, like, you know, I guess I always see a story going in a like positive arc of like, she's going to find something. But at this point, it's like, I mean, they've alluded to her writing, you know, on the side, not just like for her work, but otherwise it's like, I have no idea what this character likes and what, (laughs) what might be like her, her thing that comes into her life. Yeah. That's why I think, I think I I'm waiting for the thing at the end and Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. There's something in the end that made me flip back through the book to be like, when would you have seen that coming up? Oh my God, that's like, and then I started, that's what I'm referring to, (laughs) which was just amazing to be like, oh my God, you hit that so well. But, but it was like, so like, why the time you got to the end, you're like, oh my God, that was so obvious, but like, didn't realize it. And, um, and I kind of feel like it, it, because I see this right, the writing is the same, it's similar to me, the authors are similar. I think um, I'm, I'm kind of waiting for that same thing to be like, what is the hook? What's the thing that's like going to totally come out of left field that I'm going to be like, I never saw that coming. And then, you know, go back and find the examples of it. Yeah. Almost like it needs that hook because it seems like we've gotten the majority of the book and half the book. If it doesn't get some hook later because it's just well, all that seems to feel that's left is the unraveling of their marriage, but they could do that probably in a few pages if they wanted to. Um, so yeah, you're like, where's the story going to take us? Because you know, her sister has, I mean, at this point, she's only got one kid, I believe. Right. When, but we know she has four later on. Yeah. So we know we've already seen some character development and some of the other characters um, and know some of, some of what's happening going to happen in the future, but you really, you're right. You just don't really know what she's interested in and hopefully there's a hook or something. If not, I mean, hopefully it's a really well-written coast. Down yeah. Like, like Sally Rooney, which is also like, she doesn't really have that hook. She doesn't like, you just yeah. like finish and you're like, that was just like, I, yeah, there's um, not really like a, yeah. You're just like, I was in format. Right. Like, yeah. My, my husband's talking about his 50th birthday this year about renting a villa in Sicily. And it was, it's kind of like the kind of the bigger you go, the villa, the more people you can invite, right. The, the nicer the villas are. So we're like, who do we invite? And I'm like, I'm totally writing a Sally Rooney-esque book about this week. Yes. Because it's going to be the most <laughs> motley crew of people. <laughs> and it reminds me of, uh, is it conversations with friends maybe where they go away? Yeah. Well, in, in that and in normal people, that's like, that's like her thing that she does is she like takes characters on vacation. Actually, all three of her books, she does that. They all like, they go to Italy on a vacation. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, it's that kind of thing. So, but I don't feel like this book is that same way. I feel like there's going to be that hook to it. So. 
Yeah. Oh, I love this idea now of like, maybe it has, the seed has, been, I'm sure that, yeah, the seed has been planted and I've just, I haven't noticed it. I actually, um, do either of you know the author Chloe Benjamin? Mm-mm. She wrote, I love both her books. They're um, The Immortalist and The Anatomy of Dreams. Um, and mm-hmm. I've started following her on Instagram and she shares so much about her writing process. It's really fascinating. And she's in the process of writing a novel. And today she had shared, you know, oh, I finally like figured out this arc of the novel. And so I'm going back, printing out all the you know the pages I've written so far so that I can make sure I'm seeding the right information for like the arc I just figured out is happening. And I'm like, oh, that is so cool to see how this comes together. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to follow her. Was there anything else that stood out to you about this first half of the book that either of you was looking forward to talking about? I could talk about this book with you two for so long. I feel like, like there are so many, you know, like highlights that I made about just like her funny one-liners and things that I, you know, like uh, empathized with or things I could see parallels in my life. And, you know, Mm -hmm. just, I think there were just so like, even things like, like one of the things I wanted to mention about her writing style that I really love is she does some things in quotes and some things not, but even yes, I was not too. Quotes, yeah, or like a direct quote, and I just love that style. It's um, I don't know if I can find one of those highlights easily, but uh, it's just like it's real. It's a really I don't know. It's a really smart way of writing. It again makes it feel more like showing and not telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had highlighted a part where they did this. Yeah. Uh, uh, They're talking about, this is the beginning of the book. Oh, they're talking about their birthdays, her and Patrick. And she has in the quotes. Yes. The, the whole quote about him complaining about, you know, how horrible his birthday parties were. And then out of quotes, he said, good game though. (laughs) Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. She just does. She, yeah. I really like that style. Well, Darla, I feel like this book would be such a good, life coaching book like I'm thinking of okay there's you could do like a life coach book club and because this book just it has so many things that keep coming up that I'm like oh this is a life coaching like lesson or kind of thing that you could expand on like she can't bear people giving her love being nice to her like analyze that you know (laughs) like what's the deal there about where that may have stemmed from (laughs) (laughs) um you know her her shame turning into anger at other people uh like so many just kind of uh the way that she when that man with the dog um stops her and is you know she's crying and she's but she can't bear the thought of telling him what's really going on because then he'd have to solve it for her and like you and I have had a conversation like that of like oh I don't like hearing people complain because I feel like I have to solve things for them and then when I heard it in the flip side in that conversation I was like what? That's why you're not sharing like a hard thing. Cause you think someone has to solve it. Like, of course, no one can solve that for you. Like I, I forget what even happened. It was that after Peregrine Peregrine died, like someone just died. They can't do anything. Um, yeah. So, and that's what I think one of the things I really like about this book is that it's, it's like humor, life coaching, good storytelling, all, all mixed in. <laughs> Yeah, it's actually very you, Caitlin. It's humor. <laughs> I've always said you're a great life coach <laughs> before you've even 
<laughs> begun life coaching and your great storytelling, like all of those things. It's so you woven together. There's just no Taylor Swift references. Yeah, no, it's really a lack of Taylor Swift. <laughs> Um, I, I want to make reference to one funny thing. Um, so Izzy, you know, my five-year-old is going to a British school system here. It's an international school, but they have all British, it's basically all British staff. And so, um, she's very like, you know, very much engrossed in British culture. And she, there's this line. She said to me the other day, we were walking, I'm trying to find the line that I want to reference. Um, when we were walking along and she said, we were doing a scavenger hunt and she said, and I had a, a cat on one of the lists and she goes, where will we find a cat though? And then she started laughing and she goes, I sound British though. Where do we find a cat though? And I was like, is that British? Like I didn't even know it. And then they said the, um, the pointing thing, my sister said, literally Patrick, though, I wrote back figuratively Patrick, though. And I was like, oh, my God, she's right. <laughs> Which I thought it's just felt like those little things. Just I love the like equating to your own life thing. You know, it makes you feel like part of the book. All right, listen up. I want you to be on this podcast, like really your voice on this podcast. I want to hear what you think about the books we read, the music we talk about, all of it. If you sign up for my newsletter, you can find out ahead of time what books, music, or other topics we'll be discussing on upcoming episodes. And then you can either submit audio messages that I can play on the podcast, or I might actually bring you on as a co-host for a full episode. Hearing from you makes this so much more fun for me. So please wiggle out of your little shell and take the first step by signing up for my newsletter at donttalktomepod.com. Oh, and you know that thing they all say about, please leave me a review? It would be really cool if you did that, so give it a thought. Thanks. Talk to you next week.